As we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray together. Father, it's easy for us to be fooled that our next meal is what sustains us, but we just sang, and you've told us, that that is not food that fills us, but your word is. As we come to your word this morning, fill us, satisfy us, and make us hungry more and more for you. Bless the words that I speak. Bless the meditations of our hearts. Make them all acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Uh, We'll read together verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. Immediately prior to this section, uh, Jesus chooses his 12 disciples. Uh, He had been up on a mountain praying, spent the night praying, and then he called his disciples to himself, and he chose 12 of them. And then it says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that's how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. When Pope Francis visits a city, invariably crowds of people flock to catch sight of him. Whether at a a sports stadium or on the street, he attracts mobs of people. They want to get a selfie with him or present their ailing, disabled child. They just want to get close to him. They want to touch him. Crowds from every part of Judea gathered to catch sight of Jesus. They came to be cured. They wanted to touch him in hopes that their lives would change forever. In the midst of these crowds... Jesus turned and spoke to his disciples. Jesus speaks of a grand reversal. The crowds were clamoring for a better life. Jesus turns their desire on its heads. He had the kingdom of God on his lips, but he describes a kingdom unlike anything the people were anticipating. Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom Jesus paints is anything like the lifestyle and mindset the crowds were looking for. Jesus pictures a realigned world. 
The new life of Christ's kingdom is nothing like the world we're used to. Our world says, blessed are the honor students and the superior athletes, for theirs are the scholarships. Our world says, blessed are the assertive and the bold, for they know how to get results in the world. Our world said, blessed are the movers and the shakers, the rich and the famous, for they will really make a name for themselves. Actor Brad Pitt once reflected on his dissatisfaction with living the American dream. He noted that the car, the condo, the current version of success that was supposed to be was unimportant to him. All he saw were actors feeling impotent and isolated, desperate and lonely. The emphasis now, said Pitt, is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Jesus' sermon in Luke is like the Gospel of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. It's much shorter and only has four Beatitudes compared to Matthew's eight. But they share this. These sermons speak of a grand reversal. It's a reversal deeply rooted in the prophets and in the Old Testament teaching about the Sabbath year and Jubilee. The opening of Luke's gospel has already sounded this theme. Jesus' teaching falls right in line. We noted a couple of weeks ago Jesus' sermon in Nazareth and how it comes right from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The announcement of the year of the Lord's favor falls in line with the teaching we read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It was a time of release, release from both sin and social oppression. And Mary sang about the same themes when she went to visit Elizabeth and was blessed. She sang of God setting the present world upside down. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Even Luke's parables pick up this same theme. Chapter 12 tells of a rich man who foolishly built bigger barns. Chapter 16 condemns a rich man for his treatment of Lazarus. And chapter 19, Zacchaeus becomes an example of a disciple who returns his wealth to the poor. He brings the favor of the year of Jubilee to life. So Jesus' sermon here to his disciples carries forward these same themes He challenges the basic way we understand the world. He speaks of an unimaginable reality. Think of it like this. Imagine someone just getting elected president. All the hopes and dreams and expectations of the people who had placed placed upon this person. The people are anticipating a new day. And suppose this newly elected president stands to make his victory address. And it goes something like this. My friends and fellow Americans, I know that you elected me for the sake of the economy and jobs, but I want to congratulate the unemployed in this nation. Rejoice today, for you have it better. And I know that health care is a crucial concern for all of you who voted for me, but I want to say, bless all the children who are malnourished. Bless you whose cupboards are empty because there's more of the month than there is paycheck. Rejoice today, for your comfort is great. 
And to all of you who are hated for your skin color and your sexual orientation, or you who feel judged for wanting prayer in schools, or experience harassment for protesting abortion on demand, rejoice today because your reward in heaven is great. Can you imagine it? I can't. That's the shock of Jesus' sermon. He points us to this grand reversal. He tells us that the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the hated are better off than the rich, the satisfied, the happy, and the well-liked. The clash between kingdoms brings blessing and woe. As someone said, it looks like there's a right-side-up kingdom of our world, and along comes Jesus with an opposite, an upside-down kingdom. Jesus speaks of four blessings that are in stark contrast to four woes. Blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who are rich. Blessed are you who hunger now. Woe to you who are well-fed now. Blessed are you who weep now. Woe to you who laugh now. Blessed are you when people hate you. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Jesus presents an upside-down kingdom whose priorities are reverse those found in our world's right-side-up kingdom. What would rise to the top in our world sinks down in Jesus' picture. What's often put down rises to the top. In the right-side-up kingdom, values placed on power, comfort, success, recognition. But in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, values placed on weakness, sacrifice, grief, exclusion. Now, to understand the, uh, the contrast between these two kingdoms, maybe it would be helpful to consider what the word blessed means and to consider just who are the poor. Some have translated the word blessed with the word happy. That's not a good translation. Blessed doesn't mean happy, at least as we know it. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness comes and goes depending on our situation. The blessed that Jesus has in mind doesn't depend on our feelings. Being blessed depends on God, not us. My blessing depends on how God feels about me and my situation. To be blessed means we receive a thumbs up from God. There's a certain sense in which we could translate this word by saying, congratulations. In fact, Karl Barth went so far as to say it means, you lucky bums. As if Jesus says, congratulations, you who are poor. God has noticed you, you are blessed. These Beatitudes, poor, hungry, grieving, despised, don't describe four different people. Jesus is pointing us to four qualities in the same person. These qualities get worked into the lives of those who are close to Jesus' kingdom, those who are a part of his upside-down kingdom. Sometimes we want to make these categories so-called spiritual realities, but Jesus speaks of spiritual realities that touch economic conditions, and social status. One commentator helps us understand the poor and the rich. He says, the poor are those who also are hungry, who weep and are hated, insulted, and excluded. The rich are those who already are comforted and well-fed, who laugh and are flattered. 
The poor are those who are powerless. The rich are the ones who hold the power. The poor can hardly fend for themselves. They fight each day to survive. The rich never have any trouble making their way in the world. Their portfolios are thick. In the Old Testament, we bump up against these same realities. God is concerned to provide for the poor. The rights of the poor were an integral part of the covenant that God made with Israel. God's redemption of Israel from Egypt shaped who they were and how they were to act. They were to remember that they were once slaves. They knew poverty. They knew hunger. They knew mourning. They knew pain. And on that basis... God establishes rights for the poor. Israel was to allow the poor to eat grapes or grain from their neighbor's vineyard or field in order to satisfy their hunger. The poor could glean olives or grapes from what their owner of the field left behind. Just look at the story of Ruth and Naomi in the fields of Boaz. The poor were entitled to interest-free loans. They didn't have to worry about excessive debt hanging over their heads. And if a poor person had to sell themselves into service or their land had, or, or had to sell their land because of an unpaid debt, they would regain their freedom in the Sabbath year and their land in the year of Jubilee. Now, no, Jesus isn't teaching that this is the kind of person the disciples need to be to enter God's kingdom. He's not describing rules to follow in the kingdom. No one is meant to make themselves poor or mournful. Nor does God's promise miraculously offer you a quick fix should you happen to face a situation of poverty or hunger, grief or hatred. Jesus notes that these qualities of poverty, hunger, grief, hatred are the natural result of kingdom membership. Being a part of God's upside-down kingdom will always set you at odds with the world's right-side-up kingdom. What matters is God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't say that if you mourn or are persecuted for any reason, you will be blessed. I mean, just because your stocks took a dive and you're sad doesn't mean your kingdom material. You could be persecuted because you're not a very likable person. And if you have a personality that sets everyone's teeth on edge, that doesn't automatically qualify you for the kingdom. Not even poverty in itself qualifies you for the kingdom of God. One person notes how the the upside-down kingdom of God is made manifest. The people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. Now, to prize doesn't mean to pursue poverty or hunger or grief. Rather, it's to recognize that these qualities are ours because we're a part of God's kingdom. These reversed values are kingdom-rooted. You're poor because you know you're weak, unable to help yourself. You weep as your heart breaks over. A fallen world that's a world that's fallen away from God's intention. You're persecuted because you won't compromise your belief in Jesus as Savior. The poor are those who, in economic, social, political, and in spiritual ways, look to God to deliver them from all their troubles. 
The poor are those sustained by God in a world that often leaves us feeling empty. The poor are those in Christ's upside-down kingdom who always clash with the inhabitants of the right-side-up kingdom of this world. That is, the poor are disciples who live in the way of Jesus. See, Jesus tells us that these qualities will enter our lives because of our contact with him. That's why Jesus says, congratulations, you who are poor, who hunger, who weep, whom people hate, exclude, and insult. Jesus is describing the nature of life in the kingdom of God. Pastor Tim Keller says that this way of Jesus forms the pattern supplies the power, and yields the product of God's upside-down kingdom in our lives. First, he talks about the pattern of the upside-down kingdom, and it's seen in this reversal of values. Christ's followers are not controlled by the things of this world. Whatever this world thinks is critical doesn't influence us. Christ's followers are not controlled by power and success, comfort, or recognition. I recently read uh, someone reflecting on greed. The writer noted that typically people think of greed as related to abundance. Greed is having too much stuff or or placing too much importance on stuff or, or spending too much time pursuing or wanting or envying stuff. Comedian George Carlin said that for the most of us, finding a house big enough for all our stuff is the meaning of life. Carlin noted that a house is just a place to keep our stuff while we go out and get more stuff. Well, consider this. In 1950, the average home size was 983 square feet and uh, 3.37 people lived in it. By 2009, the average home was 2,700 square feet with only 2.57 occupants. So in the 59 years, the average American home grew by 175%, while the average family size shrunk by 24%. As one student told the author, when people are sleeping on the street and you have four empty bedrooms in your McMansion, then you are greedy. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. The right-side-up kingdom person gets overly concerned about jobs and house sizes and investment portfolios because she's a slave to power and comfort and success. The upside-down kingdom person can live without because their lives are held by God, not by the things of this world. As Jesus says later in Luke, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What good does a bigger house or a luxury car or a prestigious job do if it jeopardizes your soul? The rich are those who only find their reward in their present accomplishment. The poor can endure poverty, hunger, grief, and insult because they have Christ now and in the future. The poor person in Christ's upside-down kingdom finds power in Jesus. Luke tells of Jesus' power. 
And the people tried to, to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. By the example of his own life, Jesus shows his followers how to live. Jesus knows that exclusion, rejection, weeping will happen, for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets, he says. Just like the prophets of old were rejected, even more so, the greatest prophet of all, Jesus, will be rejected. Jesus, the ultimate prophet, the real king of kings, suffered the poverty of becoming human. He was rejected by friends, by the crowd, even suffered separation from his father in heaven, and still he gave himself. This is what empowers his followers. He gave his life for us, suffering death for us. Not so that we could become wealthy or powerful or recognized. No, he did all this so that we would give ourselves for others. That is, that we would become poor, hungry, grieving, insulted for the sake of others. Tim Keller says, you can live in reversal of values because you live by his reversal. He took your place. He put you where he deserves to be before the throne of God accepted and beloved. He put himself where you deserve to be, cast out. As followers of Christ, we don't live by our own power. We live in this powerful love of Christ. He reversed our fortunes so that we can reverse our fortunes for everybody else. Here is true power. When we're poor, weeping, and empty, we know the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus produces in us hearts turned from emptiness to fullness and then from fullness to emptiness. The gospel grabs our empty lives, fills them with Christ, and in turn we empty ourselves for others for the sake of Christ and the neighbor. That's what Jesus produces in us. We hear Jesus talk about the rich being sent away empty, and we can't help but be moved to empty ourselves for others. Maybe we bless the poor and the hungry with the promise that the kingdom and all that it brings uh, will meet their needs. But that promise, that promise of God's provision, also impresses on us our own obligation. When Jesus says, rejoice in that day, he means rejoice right now. In Jesus' name, live his love right now. We produce the fruit of the kingdom in the present. Shane Claiborne is a Christian activist with a mission to take Jesus and the message of the gospel seriously. He's a founding member of a group called The Simple Way a group that takes the gospel to the streets of Philadelphia, to the slums of Calcutta, to the war zones of Iraq. Sean sees the, Shane sees the, the life of the kingdom produced in the homeless. And he describes a woman struggling to get a meal from a late-night food truck. When asked if the, mood, if the meal was worth all of the fighting that she had to do to get it, she said, Yes, but I don't eat them myself. I get them for another homeless lady, an elderly woman who can't fight for a meal. He tells of a street kid panhandling outside a store only to run inside and share it with all his friends. A homeless man laying a pack of cigarettes in the offering plate because that's all he had. 
Claiborne related the story of a blind street musician who was viciously mocked and cursed, even had Lysol sprayed in her eyes. And when the folks who comforted her said, there are a lot of bad folks in the world, she replied, oh, but there are a lot of good ones too. And the bad ones make the good ones seem even sweeter. And he made a, met a seven-year-old homeless girl and he asked what she wanted to do when she grew up. And she quietly replied, I want to own a grocery store. And after a pause said, so I can give out food to all the hungry people. These are the disciples of Jesus. The, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, who don't seek the way of power, comfort, success, and recognition. They seek the way of Jesus. They're filled with God's love now. The great future God has in store for his disciples is the norm for their behavior already now. Right now, they know the great reward of heaven. They're blessed to live life as citizens of God's kingdom now. They're blessed to follow the way of Jesus from fullness to emptiness. And then from that emptiness to fullness. These blessings and woes of Jesus' sermon make me profoundly uncomfortable. I suspect they make you uncomfortable too. I think I've been co-opted by the right-side-up kingdom of power, comfort, success, and recognition. And I'm humbled to hear of people, poor, hungry, grieving, insulted people who chase after the way of Jesus. They demonstrate the upside-down kingdom of God in a grand reversal, crazy by all the world's standards, Christ invites his followers to be so full of the love of Christ that they can empty themselves for others. To enter the fullness of God's kingdom with hands and hearts wide open. Empty and yet full. Empty of all that's of them full of all that's of Christ. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. As great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, you uh, challenge us by your words. You challenge us to uh, pay attention to the pattern of our lives, uh, to your power that moves us, and to all that's produced through us. And you challenge us not by some promise of a sweet by and by, but you challenge us by a promise that right now, right here, in the midst of poverty and hunger, weeping, 
and insult right here, right now, as we empty ourselves, we will never be closer to your kingdom. That as we rely on you, we will never be closer to your kingdom. As we find all in life that is of you, we will never be closer to your kingdom. Lord Jesus, help us. Have mercy upon us. Move us by your Spirit to discover your upside-down kingdom in the midst of a world clamoring for all that they think is right-side-up and what we think is right-side-up. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.